lot of you have told us you're struggling with during this time. Um, I think, you know, no matter where you are in the world, we're all under a form of lockdown, whether it's shelter in place, um, but we have, you know, uh, all of our movements are restricted. We're, most of us are just staying at home. That could lead to a lot of anxiety and depression, a lot of loneliness. Um, so we thought we would go to one of our experts, Dr. Uh, Stephen Sabat, who joins us. He, um, he is a professor of psychology um, and a neuropsychologist at Georgetown University. Uh, welcome, Dr. Sabat. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Okay, so, you know, a lot of anxiety out there. Um, there's really one, only one topic people are talking about today. I mean, you know, I remember last night we had our book club and we tried to make the rule, no one talk about COVID, but, you know, within 10 minutes we were all talking about COVID. So right, right. how do you deal with cri a crisis like this where it's just pervasive? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, you recognize, it's important to recognize the reality and to, by recognizing the reality, I mean being very mindful about what we can do to control things. That is, it's, it, right these days, lots of people feel out of control for, for good reason, because there's this thing going around and you don't know where it is and you can't see it. And, and so when we feel out of control, things that we can't control ourselves, the anxiety levels go up. And so it's really important to focus on what we can do rather than what we can't do. So focusing on what you can't control is not a good idea because you can't control it. But if you do focus on what is possible to control, then you can have some feeling, at least at least some feeling of safety and, 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 and your anxiety levels can go down. So following all of those CDC recommendations is really important in terms of hygiene and and and, and that and, and all of that. Another thing that's really important to do is to stay away from constant exposure to the news, because it, it's not going to change from moment to moment or hour to hour, and so it's really important to keep the dose small. You know, if you if hearing that there is an, that 20 more people were diagnosed, you know, in Idaho today is not going to help. Uh, so a lot of people become news junkies and that just raises the level of anxiety again. So it's really important to focus on taking control of the situations ourselves in the, all the ways we have available to us. You know, I often thought too, I mean, with my own family, you know, because uh, I mean, we're all guilty. We all read the news constantly. And, you know, my dad often has the television on watching the news with my mom. And, you know, she often forgets what's going on. So we all often re-explain it, you know, but, you know, in some cases, I don't think it really triggers a memory. It's just explaining it all over again. So I've often wondered if that initial news, like there's a pandemic going on, and no one can do anything and people are dying. Is that more traumatic that very first time when you're hearing it for the first time? Because quite possibly she's experiencing it for the first time over and over again. Well, in a way I can understand why people would come to that conclusion because a person may not recall having been told X, Y, and Z. And so every time, well, what's going on? Well, this is what's going on. 
and yes, so it can be a shock in that sense to hear it over and over again. But at the, on the other hand, if there's something that's an emotionally powerful, it's really not a good idea to assume that a person diagnosed with dementia has made no memory whatsoever about what he or she has been told. So one of the things, because we have this ability called implicit memory that can still function in spite of the fact that a person doesn't recall what, what you have said to him or her 10 minutes ago. So one thing that I would do is if a person says, well, what's going on? I'll say, well, well, take a guess. What do you think is going on? You, th you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? And dollars to donuts, the person will say, oh, I think it's a bad thing. Oh, really? And so what, how does that feel when you think of this bad thing? And, and then you start to explore that and a person can start talking about how it feels. So, you know, I would not assume because of a lack of recall that a person has no memory at all. And now we have to go through this again and again and again, although it might be important to remind a person that it really is a good idea to wash your hands and, and do all of those hygiene things. And you can set a timer for 20 seconds, wash your hands, or every hour if you want to do it that way. Here's the time. Now it's time to wash your hands. And when and dollars to donuts, the next after this goes on a few times, the next time that little timer rings, the person will start going over to the sink. Why are you going over to the sink? Now I don't know, but the person starts washing their hands, you know. So that's what I would do. So we've also heard from people um, um, diagnosed with um, earlier stage dementia that this is a particularly difficult time for them because they feel isolated. And these are people who are very social, very active. Um, and suddenly they're being forced to stay home a lot of times by themselves. And so, you know, what piece of advice would you offer them? I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, that isolation is leading to a, a lot of anxiousness and depression. Oh, yes. There's, well, yes. Um, I think a couple of things here are, are worthwhile keeping in mind. One is that people in an early stage of diagnosis and all have a lot more cognitively intact so that you might not necessarily need to remind them or they may not have the recall deficit that is that severe. But in any event, yes, the anxiety will be higher and if you're alone. And so that means that we need to provide social supports for those people that can that can help them through. And, and so, for example, uh, well, and now I want to distinguish between people who are living alone and people who are living with loved ones. Uh, and then there are people who are living in assisted living places and in nursing homes. So depending upon the circumstances, the, the recommendations could be quite different. So people living alone. Uh, now, those people need to be contacted on a regular basis by friends and family. And you can set certain times, and, and in, in my case, and this is not in, because my dad had any kind of dementia whatsoever, but, we, but when he was caring for my mother, I always, I would call always at a certain time of the day. So he knew to expect that. And if we make it, make it a point of gathering people, friends, family, relatives, to phone those people who are living alone and then talk and spend some time and have conversation that can ease some of that feeling of loneliness. And it's also important to recognize that physical distance is not the same thing as psychological distance. Now, everybody understands this. I mean, we may not understand it just in the terms of I just 
in terms of which I just put it. But when you think about it, there are people with whom you feel close who may live thousands of miles away from you or, or hundreds of, for that matter. And, and maybe you don't even speak to them except every once in a blue moon, but you still feel close to them, even though they're a distance away. So no matter how far away or far apart we are, when we make those contacts, that can do a great deal to ease the feeling of being alone. And that's when empathy has to start kicking in. And so that's why if a person says, I really feel terrible, I'm alone. Well, you know what? So do I. I really understand it because I'm feeling that way too. And, and so what you're feeling, is, and that makes perfect sense. And that's why we should get together like this and talk more often. And, and, or, and if you can do FaceTime or that sort of thing, if that's a possibility then, or Skype or Zoom things, if that's the sort of thing that can really ease a lot of that feeling of being alone. Yeah, absolutely. And we we did it within my own family and it does. It makes it may, and it's nice for parents, grandparents to see the grandkids and, you know, I was thinking this is probably everyone's going to if you didn't video before, it's probably going to be the new mode of communication between yeah, yeah. so used to it, right? Oh, yeah. um, we have a comment from a viewer who said, you know, he asked I she, um I asked a group of brain injury survivors many uh, who have suspected dementia the other day, has COVID-19 um, caused you more anxiety? It was split down the middle, some anxiety, a lot less, um, some said a lot more. Um, uh, for me personally, it's actually lessened my anxiety because I'm not out in public. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. this whole situation though has caused my temper to be worse because now I'm having to deal with my kids 24 seven. I think we uh, can all relate to that too. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, that's sometimes uh, aesthetic distance is important. Yes. But those are the times when, you know, it's really important to start speaking to children. And then this could be children of various ages and, you know, children of all ages actually, adults as well. Uh, it, it's really important to start talking about how we can work with this together. Yeah. And sometimes when you're feeling like you, somebody says, can you pass me the salt? You want that too? You know, and that's the anxiety is bleeding out that way. So instead of being reactive like that, just to be mindful, like I'm really upset. And, 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 and it's good to talk about it. And even if it doesn't make it go away, which it doesn't necessarily make it go all away, but at least it's a kind of like a, a pressure cooker releasing some of the pressure so it doesn't explode. Um, so talking about this stuff, even with young children, if they're, they're upset because they can't see their friends or what have, let's do Zoom, let's do that stuff. I did that with, it's really funny on Sunday, I know th there are these three guys I know in New York City and I know these people for years and we, I don't think I saw those three guys in the same place for years now. You know, we would, if I would go to New York, I might see one or two of them, but never the three of them together. We did this Zoom meeting the other day. It was great, great fun. It was delightful. And it really, it really kind of felt like it, you know, we're together. And, and so I think we can use this technology to whatever degree we can to ease that feeling of being stranded. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're not really stranded necessarily. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, another comment has um, come in, and this has been an angst for a lot of our audience, people who have um, loved ones in care homes, um, uh, you know, around the country. We're hearing from a lot of them as well, a lot of the care homes asking for help um, in in um, PPE supplies, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's um, it's it's daunting what's going on in, in a lot of the care homes around the country. Um, this woman has said, my dad is in a nursing home, mid-dementia, and his oldest son died Saturday. How do we tell him not being able to see him? Oh, that's a tough one. That is, it's really difficult. And, and, and the thing is, you know, I can't, you know, whoever, whoever, whoever asked that question knows her father. And, and knows the relationship that existed between father and son. And so the person has to be thinking about that, first of all. Uh, if this is a very close relationship and, and, and you feel like you need to tell your father, then you tell your father and he's going to grieve, which is, I mean, I assume, but, but that's the natural thing to do. I don't know that hiding, hiding it would be the thing to do, or, well, you know, where's, you know, when am I going to see so-and-so? Well, not today, uh, which is true. You could do that, but, you know, you, it, at a certain point, I suppose, uh, there's going to be some kind of discussion that will have to be taking place now. And when you say mid-dementia, I'm not sure what exactly that means, but, you know, if you feel the and it's your responsibility to convey that information, then you convey it and you be with your father as much as you possibly can by phone or however you're communicating. But you be with him and and go through this with him. And and he may he may not recall that you told him that. But here, I'll give you an example. Uh, there was a woman who lived in a in a it was a, a geriatric care center, actually, but the people were residents and they all had memory problems. And there was a woman who had developed a relationship with a man who lived there. They were she was going to marry Max, you know, and all of that. And, and Max died quite suddenly and he had to be taken to hospital and he died there. And then they told her and she didn't recall having been told. And she said, well, what about Max? Well, he died. What? as if it were the first time. Well, after a couple of times of telling her and her being shocked, she said to one of the volunteers who spent, spent time with her, you know, I had this dream last night and I dreamed that Max died. Does that mean anything? Now she made a memory. Mm. So she knew, but she didn't recall that she knew. So, you know, so it, it it's there. Now, I, I, I would, you know, I, I think it really depends on the relationship you have with your father and how how empathetic you can be and how how patient you can be in dealing with the aftermath of this and keep reminding him without, I told you that yesterday, don't do that. So I, I don't know how much this helps, but if, if it were my father and my, I, well, I would just, because of the relationship, I would just impart the news and say this, and I'm sad too. 
Yeah. I can imagine though how difficult. I mean, I my my friend who lost her father to dementia, um, and the mother had dementia, just kept she said that the it took weeks, like the the, the her mom was just reliving the dad's death, the, the the shock. So I can imagine and empathize how difficult it is when you can't see um, your father. I mean, that, that would be incredibly painful, but you know, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, but let me, let me just ask you the question. Is it, is it, is it bad to keep that information for a little while until you can be with that person? You know, possibly, I'll give you another, I'll give you a, this is a, a real life example of that. So this is a colleague of mine who is an old age psychiatrist in England. And there was a case just like this where a woman's, it was a woman's husband who died and she had dementia and they weren't telling her. The family wasn't telling her. And as time went by, she wanted to know where her husband was. And when is he, I mean, and, and, and her anxiety level was getting higher and higher and higher. Once they told her the truth, okay, now I know why he's not coming. Now, Will she relive the, the grief after she hears again? Yes, but think about it. When you lose a loved one mm. like that, your grief does not go away after you hear about it. Yeah. In fact, every day you feel it, and, and it's only after a good long time goes by that you start to heal emotionally and the tears become more of a warm smile if the relationship was good. So it's not like we stop grieving. Oh, now I know she died. And so, okay, and now I'm, I'm fine. No, it doesn't happen like that. We go through a long period. Anybody does. So yeah. I think the idea of sparing somebody the grieving is almost unrealistic. Yeah. She's, she's written since we've, we've spoken. Um, and Diane has written in and this involves her family. And she said, you know, thank you. We've had another death in February. I appreciate it. It's just that we can't hold him. And I, I can completely empathize with that. It's just like that, that, that embrace to say, it's going to be okay. Like it, it, it's not going to exist right now. So I can imagine that's tremendously difficult. Is there any way to speak on by phone or video tablet as a nursing home, have a, you know, a, a, an iPad or yeah. something where you, you can call in and look at each other and, and be together that way. And if that, it, that's really important for everyone who has a loved one in, in an assisted living, just they have to find ways that the assisted living or nursing home, can provide to communicate. And, and, and many are, they're really good about this because they understand. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I would be doing everything I could to schedule those kinds of things. So every day at this time, we're going to have a, a phone chat or video, something. But, I, and, and in, I know you can't hold that person, but you know what? It's really kind of funny, but nowadays uh, we can't, shake hands and, and we can't, you know, we, there are lots of things we can't do now, even though we're very natural. So we have to find more creative ways to convey our love and our, our shared grief and, and, and be together. That's what's so important. It's being together and how we do that is really up to us. And we can, and there are ways, I mean, I think it's in everyone's heart to be able to find a way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you there, there's always like, uh, even though the memory is going um, on people with dementia, they still can feel with emotion, right? And so, of course, of course. Yeah. So, okay, with the news going on and with it being pervasive, is there a, a better way to talk about this type of crisis? Is there a better way? Is it just to really ease someone into it? I mean, if you can do that or may, maybe not make it look quite as bad and depressing as it is out there. I mean, I think, I think to, to be, it's kind of, I mean, it may sound kind of odd. Uh, I can understand I mean, my sense of humor is so bizarre that I, I can think almost anything could sound odd, but, but to be, what are the facts? You know, you stick to the facts. And, and if you can, the one who is conveying this information is not conveying it with, some intense and urgency. Oh my God, the world is ending, and you know the end of days. You know, if you're not, then okay, this is what's going on, and this is what we need to do, and this is how we need to do it. And if we do these things, the chances are we'll be better off than if we don't. And so, there are all kinds of. I mean, you know, as I said earlier, take breaks from watching the news and all of that, but but getting sleep and, and organizing the day so that there are things that we're doing that aren't about that. Mm -hmm. Because there are things around the house. I mean, the house, my God, all the chores that you never thought you would do. <laughs> all the closets that need to be cleaned. You know, marry condo, you know? I mean, that's <laughs> it's time to do things and to get on with it because thinking about it and obsessing about it doesn't really help. So yeah. conveying information in a factual way and then, okay, now let's do this. <laughs> let's, let's find things. To, and when we do that, then all of a sudden we're not overwhelmed. We're distracted and we need to be distracted mm -hmm. because there's no nothing. I mean, the fact is that thinking about it doesn't make it any better. Yeah, and one person just wrote in, fair enough, take breaks, right? You need to take a break yeah. from like the crisis and the news and everything yeah. is pervasive. It is, and then you don't sleep. And then, you know, it's so- It's a cycle, it, it, yeah. Yes, it's all all the stuff sort of cycles around and around and around. And so it go around the house and clean, frequently touched surfaces, disinfect things. I mean, yeah, become anal compulsive, that's okay. Right. <laughs> but you're doing something, you know? One of the things I think that's been hard for my own family is this, cha this change of perceived roles. So, for example, you know, my parents don't have a caregiver who lives in, but we've recently changed that. And, you know, fortunately, she agreed um, to live in during this period because it was just too hard going in and out, in and out all the time. And, you know, my mom still perceives that she's like cooking and planning meals and everything, which she hasn't done in a long time. But one of the things that I thought was quite clever is her caregiver, you know, they go to the supermarket kind of together. Like my mom and dad have a mask on and my dad will drive. She gets out and does all the shopping, but my mom, she asks my mom, okay, so what am I getting? And things like that. And that actually has worked really beautifully to replace what they used to all do, which is like go to the store together and pull things off the shelf, right? But we don't want them yeah. in the supermarket. So it's right. still that like kind of empowering her to believe that she is having input in, in the process. But she actually is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
Yes. So I mean, it's, it's actually treating her. She wants to be the lady of the house, and she wants to be the the, the one who. And so, but she still is. She's going to the, and she's being asked for input. So she is being given the sense that, which is true, that she has something to offer and something to say. It's something to do. Yeah. And if she's always been a nurturer and always been that kind of person, then, then that's the way you allow that to continue, which gives her a sense of satisfaction and self-worth. And that's so important that that's in, incredible. So it's brilliant that you did that. that that's so that's really I, I am really fearful. We've done now quite a number of, of uh, reports on situations in nursing homes. Um, and I am, and, and people bringing their loved ones back home who, you know, were to during this period of time. But what I'm really fearful of, and this is the thing that really makes me like send shivers up my spine. What if you're looking after your loved one and you get COVID? Cause I'm sure there, we're going to see stories of that if they aren't already happening. Yeah. Now that to me, presents a really big dilemma because we all think about it. I mean, I think about getting COVID because we read all about it. And in some ways you think you're getting it, you know, because you if you read it all the time, it enhances the paranoia. Now, even though we're sheltering in place and everything, like if the caregiver is to, to get sick, what does that all mean? And, you know, I mean, it, that's such a bad situation. I can't even imagine. Oh, it's a terrible situation. And, and so, Rather than, okay, rather than going in circles around and around and around, okay, what happens if I get sick? All right, what happens if I get sick? Let's now put in place to the best ability that we have a plan. So we have to have lined up phone numbers of people who might be able to fill in and help. Uh, connect all the phone numbers of physicians and telehealth. It's big now, so you can talk to physicians that way. Medicare will cover it for, for elders. And, and so pack a bag, have a bag packed in case you need to go to the hospital. Have it packed already so it's there and you don't have to scurry around and look for something. But names and phone numbers of people who can fill in and talk to those people and have things lined up. It, it's again, it's, it, it's a terrible, terrible thing to contemplate. Mm. But there are two choices. One choice is to do nothing. And the other choice is to do something. And the something you do may not be perfect, but it's something. And at least you're doing something to cover bases. And you don't know. You, you might be, it might be COVID. You might, you, you, you might get a, a strep throat or something and, you know, have a fever and you can't get out of bed. So you need, no matter what, you need to have some backup plan for coverage. And that could be neighbors. It could be friends, something. So it's not, again, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the, 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 the magic bullet answer to this, but I do know that when we take action, we are better off than when we don't. I think Amelia Earhart said something about, you know, the the toughest decision is to act. Mm. Everything after that is merely tenacity. Mm. That's so true. And that's such great advice too, because actually being prepared is gonna bring down the level of anxiety too, right? right? That 
one feels. I mean, just th this is the plan. It's in place, you know. Yeah. Instead of what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I? Gonna do? Yeah, it's, it's the crisis. So what what is the advice you have for people though who are anxious and depressed at home? Like what what do they do? Well, they got to find some things. I mean, it depends on where you live, but again, make contact with friends. A lot, I mean, there are lots of ways to do that, to stay in touch, to talk to people. It it it's it's part of life. We're social beings and the fact that we can't get out and drive to the supermarket or, or go to the supermarket if, that, if, if, if that's the case, then, then we have to make up some other plan of staying in touch with people. Being alone, all the, unless you're really into being alone, and there are some people who don't mind that whatsoever, but there are those of us who need that social contact. And so, okay, we're going to contact friends and relatives and just stay in touch. It, and then there are things to do around the house, organize things that haven't been organized. You, you haven't cleaned out that closet in 10 years and there's all that junk there and let's get rid of it. I mean, even if you're an older person, especially, I, I hear, I give this an example. I, I, I know some people that this one person, especially who lost both her parents when she was a teenager and she had to take care of everything that was going on, like getting the house cleaned out and all of that stuff. Well, she decided, you know, as a maybe 60 year old person, she and her husband, they downsized and then they just got rid of all the kind of stuff because they didn't want to leave their children that massive kinds of thing to clean up. So they did it. So you're alone, start clearing things out that you don't need all this stuff make donations, do something so that you're going to make life easier for your children, grandchildren, whomever, siblings, and, and that provides purpose and a sense of meaning. And, and we all need purpose and meaning. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's really, that's really good advice too. Cause I mean, God knows all of us have things to clean out, you know, yeah. and usually yeah. I sit there, just there and say, oh my God, that gives me so much anxiety. So maybe working through it will actually reduce my anxiety. <laughs> you know, what, what's really kind of funny is, and, and I noticed this in college students who I taught for years, the ones who were the procrastinators, when, when an exam was on the horizon, all of a sudden they'd start cleaning up their room. <laughs> they felt so out of control about the test that they started cleaning their room, you know, which they yeah. never did. So when we, it, we it's a, a feeling of being in control. And so you're alone, you're going to do something to take control of the situation you're in and it's going to be contacting people. I, I was talking to a friend of mine today who was just saying that she has been hearing from people out of the blue she hasn't heard from in years. I, we're doing this. And yeah. this is a time. Yeah, and that's lovely to reconnect with people. And yeah. so if you clean out your closet, you feel so much better afterwards, right? Yeah. It's such a relief. I got all that stuff out. I can't sell it. Why, why, did, why was I saving all of that stuff anyway? Yeah. Well, now, okay, it's in the recycle bin. Time for home economics, I think. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we've done in my family, which has been great, and um, is audiobooks. If you know the your um, loved one or a person with dementia can follow audio, um, that's been really fun to do as a family for us. Oh, oh sure. And, and there are all kinds of videos for even exercise. Yeah. Yoga. There are videos for this. They're online, and you know, if you're home, 
You can do that stuff. In fact, it's really important for loved ones who have dementia at home. It's really important to have activities for them during the day because that way they don't nap during the day and then get up at night when you're trying to sleep. So keeping occupied and active during the day in whatever way is going to be helpful around the clock. Yeah. Dr. Sabat, it's always good to talk to you because you always give us such um, practical advice. Um, So thank you. Thank you so much. It's my Uh, pleasure. I really appreciate being here with you for coming on and you know I'm sure there's going to be other topics in the the future but you have a gift of giving really just tangible and practical advice and we so appreciate that. Well I appreciate you too and the work you're doing it's really a pleasure thank you. So for um, Dr. Sabat's interview, of course, we always upload them to beingpatient.com if you missed any of this one. And if you want to hear more about the talks uh, we are having, a lot of them have been focused lately on COVID-19. If you want to suggest a talk um, or an expert who you'd like to see, please do either email us at info at beingpatient.com or um, you can sign up for our newsletters to get news of of upcoming talks. Thanks very much um, for watching everyone and please do stay safe.